Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we doing today? Fabulously, I'm sure is the word that came up on everybody's mind. Fabulously. Um, It's good to connect. So uh, let's see who is here. I believe Zach had his opening night last night for Altar Boy. So he is, uh, I believe, sleeping in or he's, or today was his opening night or something like that. I know that he's really... um, it's like such a huge time difference that he's usually taking class at like 11:30 at night. <laughs> that's, and that's a committed practitioner. So uh, let's take um, some role here. Uh, Jennifer O'Brien. Here. Awesome. Mark Gregor. Here. Hi, Mark. Mark, are you looking like a model of pride today? I am working it out today. Yes, I am. Show them what pride looks like, Mark. Uh, Brandon. Hi. Brandon, also a model of pride today. Um, Yes. But Brandon, as we all know, Brandon's a model every day. Um, Or at at least he could. At least he could be. Thank you. Um, inspire spiritual community and catalog modeling agency. Um, <laughs> think about it, guys. We're looking for extra ways to bring in some financial support. Uh, uh, <laughs> Soki. And uh, Soki said uh, something about being on the plane to Malaysia. Oh, she on the plane today? Okay. Uh, Martha. Here. All right. Great. Cool. Rockin'. So, um, Jennifer, why don't you lead us in an opening prayer and, um, let's say, two-minute meditation. Absolutely. Everyone wants to just take a deep breath and place their hand on their heart, I invite you to do so. Dear universe, heavenly beings, saints and sages, we welcome you into our lives and into our minds. We, we welcome your healing power. We welcome your positivity. Together as a group today, we look to explore and better understand spirituality, our subconscious minds, and the inner workings of our thoughts. We welcome you into our group today to help uh, deepen our conversation and deepen our understanding of that conversation today. 
we are so grateful for all of uh, all of our ability to connect with people of like minds, for all of our safe, secure homes that we're able to take these classes from, and for the lives that we lead that allow us the time to contemplate these ideas and advance ourselves for the greater good of all. Uh, today we would like to offer up any uh, any excuses, any uh, thoughts that we're not good enough to, uh, any thoughts that we're not smart enough to understand these things, and uh, and we do we we will gain we do gain deep understanding every time we come to these classes, and we do so and we share it with the world. Amen. Um, for a meditation this morning, if everyone could close their eyes and go inside your own body. Breathe in and breathe out. I just want you to notice your toes and just wiggle your toes a little bit around. Wiggle your toes and just feel inside your body. Move Move your consciousness to your ankles. And stretch your ankles. Move up to your calves. Flex your calves and release. Breathing in and breathing out. Put your attention on your knees and your thighs and squeeze the muscles there and release. Just calling attention to every part of your body all the way from your toes up to your hips. Put your attention now on your bottom. Give it a squeeze. Breathing in, breathing out. Bring your attention now up to your abdomen. Just notice what's going on there. Are you hungry? Are you too full? What's what's the feeling there? And take a deep breath in and just let it go. Bring your attention now up to your chest. Just be aware and notice what's going on inside your own body. Take a deep breath in and just release any tension that you're holding. Release any feelings of unwellness. Let that breath just carry all of the tension from your toes up through your chest, out into the world. Now bring your attention to your neck and shoulders. Go ahead and tip your neck, you know, give yourself a little stretch. I like to roll my shoulders up to my ears and drop them as low as I can. Just shake that out. Be aware, bring some awareness to what's happening in your neck and shoulders. How is it feeling for you today? If it's not feeling great, you know, spend some time on that today. Spend some time really relaxing and making your body feel great. And with this last breath, I want you to call your attention to your head. What's going on inside your head? How fast are your thoughts moving today? Take a deep breath in. And just exhale all of that thinking. 
empty your mind, empty your head with each breath and clear some space for the peace and quiet that we need today for our class. Take another deep breath in and just let go once again of of those thoughts. And when you're ready, uh, open your eyes. And Jesse, we are ready to begin. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, let's all take one more deep breath in. Just really fill it all the way up. And open the jaw and let it out. Ah. Mm-hmm. Well done, Jennifer. Thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> I'll share honestly, there was a moment when you said to bring your attention to your ankles. I swear to God, I heard <laughs> bring your attention to your a-hole. And I thought, huh, okay, well, uh, let's see where this goes. And then you repeated it again, ankles. I was like, oh, ankle. Okay. Okay, I thought you were about to leave this in like a root, uh, a root block, like sacral chakra exercise. Um, and my note would have been, you know, be mindful of the language we choose. And then it was like, oh, she said ankle, ankle, which is different. One of those funny, funny meditation moments, I guess. <laughs> so, um, Let's do a quick little check-in uh, with everyone. And um, so we've got Mark and Martha, Brandon and Jennifer on the line. Um, let's just check in with each other. Tell, uh, let, us, let each other know uh, how our weeks went. Were there any breakthroughs, any challenges? Is there any, uh, anything that you'd like a little prayer support around? Let's um, it. Well, I was feeling very challenged this week. I've been sick for like, I can't keep track of the days. Like, it's been at least two weeks now. And uh, I think I'm I'm at, you know, if I were to gauge my health today, I'm probably at like 70% healthy. But you can probably hear in my voice that, like, I'm struggling with some stuff in, in my chest. Anyway, you know, the... I, what I'm realizing is that I burn my candle at my job very quickly. I do a lot of work. It's very fast-paced, very stressful. And when I'm 100% healthy, I don't seem to notice how, you know, that I'm that I'm really working myself that way. Um, it just kind of feels like the, the thing I should do or feels really natural. But this week, these last two weeks, I've noticed, like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how people can sustain life moving at this pace, it's like really difficult and uh, well, it's really challenging. And um, and this week I had a particularly stressful project that was shooting and I don't know who's in the, the shooting realm or who does acting and stuff, but you can't really call out sick on a shoot day. It just doesn't really, you just really can't. There's like thousands and thousands of dollars on the line. So I went and I struggled through it. And I think, you know, I think the break, I don't know that I really had a breakthrough, but I definitely had a lot of deep reflection on 
how fast-paced my life is and how much I don't see myself being able to sustain that in the long term. That was my week. That's really great, actually, Jen. It's a really, really good insight. Um, what came up for me, for you, is just to talk about self-care. <clears throat> do you have, like, a self-care regime that you do, something that um, helps you sort of rejuvenate and restore yourself on either a daily or weekly basis? You know, I don't really. Um, mm-hmm. And this came up for me also because in my first week of sickness when I was, like, at 20% health, I was doing a lot of things for myself. I was taking baths every night, and I was making tea, like, six times a day. And I had all these little things that I was doing for myself because I knew that it would help make me healthy again. But as soon as I got to, like, 65 to 70% well, I just kind of stopped doing all of that stuff. And now I'm left with, well, why don't I feel any better than... <laughs> than last week, and um, so I I did have some reflection around why do we treat ourselves so much better when we're unable to really, you know, when we're least healthy, and then not carry any of that over into our daily lives. So, you know, I don't have a regimen, but I've been thinking about the fact that I need one. Yeah, you know, what you just shared is actually a perfect metaphor for how most people treat their spiritual practice as well. Many people uh, develop a spiritual practice because of some sort of upset or turmoil or even rock bottom in their life. And they begin to incorporate meditation and prayer and all these practices into their life and things begin to transform or they, you know, which I think is a very common experience in um, our culture is they get what they want. You know, maybe there's a specific thing they want and so they start applying spiritual principles so they can manifest that into their life. But once they get it or once they feel better, like you just said, then they stop using the very thing that supported them in, you know, getting to the space where they could receive it, where they could be open to it. And then oftentimes... Slowly but surely, chaos begins to ensue once again, or the same situation begins to present itself, and people are left wondering, well, what happened? Why, why didn't I do it? So the practice, our spiritual practice, and as practitioners, you know, um, standing in the consciousness of practitioner, it is a commitment to be diligent in our practice, to develop enough loving discipline to continue our practice even when we get what we want or even when life is going really well. It's when life is going really well that a lot of times the practice will take a back seat to whatever is unfolding. So the awareness to develop is, and that's when we continue to go. Deepen the practice when you're not distracted by health or chaos or stress and anxiety. And then you begin to realize that you can even grow the pot of possibility for yourself. The container grows and grows and grows when we 
stay diligent in the practice and continue to apply it. And when we uh, allow our life to be our practice. And, and then another suggestion, and I say this just because I was having the same conversation with a coaching client yesterday, is um, I really uh, encourage everyone to take a salt water bath at least once a week. And what you can do is um, if you go to like Whole Foods, you can get, or Trader Joe's too, one container of the sea salt, not iodized salt, but sea salt. If you put the entire container in a hot bath, with, I believe it's like a cup of baking soda or a package of baking soda, it's supposed to have sort of the same makeup as the ocean. And so just soaking in that saltwater bath and then dunking your head under so it gets over the crown chakra uh, can be extremely restorative and reparative. So, Jen, maybe that's something that you could make sort of a Sunday evening ritual or something like that so you can always feel like you are starting, you're going to start your week from a really rejuvenated, clear place, you know. And another thing to consider is, you know, meditation is so, so healing and rejuvenating because it takes you to that space, if you close your eyes and breathe, uh, it takes you to that sort of restful space where your body is just rejuvenating. So if you can find 10 minutes during your work day where you just say, oh, I have to go run and do something, or even on a film day, there's some way you can always find 5 to 10 minutes to just sneak away and practice that meditation. Practice meditating with your hand on your heart just for 10 minutes, 5 minutes. I bet you will see a huge, huge shift in how stressed you feel. Those are things that I started incorporating that have really helped me. And I've also suggested those practices to uh, plenty of people, and it's really helpful. Mark, you know, Mark is a career coach. Mark, do you have any, um, what, are you, what do you suggest to your uh, clients that ask about, like that feel depleted or run down energetically? Is there any tips or tools you offer them that they can uh, incorporate during their workday? Well, you know, I think the number one rule of thumb for me in career is like, you know, what are you really doing in your career? Like, why are you showing up to work each day? You know, is your intention there to just simply do things and be productive or is your intention to actually enjoy what you're doing? Um, so for me, I, one of the practices I, I give to my clients is um, as you start your work day each day and, you know, you look at your schedule for the day, really take a moment of, of intensely envisioning what is the experience you want to be having that day. Do you want to be stressed and running in 10 different directions and overwhelmed? Or do you really want to enjoy what you're doing? Sometimes it's just that practice of setting that really clear intention of the experience you want, um, more ease, more peace, more joy in the work, miraculously, um, ends up shifting, shifting the experience of, of, of that day for you. Um, so that, that's one thing that I, I do recommend to my clients. It doesn't always work, but it, it is practice that, that tends to give some good results. Um, and also setting really clear boundaries for yourself um, in terms of if you really want to have a practice and you really want to be centered in the midst of your workday, take that time. You know, it could be a five-minute break. Go on a coffee break and 
do a meditation, do a little journaling. Um, do Take those moments throughout your day. I know it, when you're getting paid during the day, you kind of feel like, well, I'm not getting paid to be doing this other work. Actually, you are. Because if you're not being efficient because you're stressed and overwhelmed, you're actually wasting your employer's money because you're taking probably three to four times longer to do what you're doing and you're not doing it as effectively because you're really not centered. So taking that time to center yourself throughout your day is actually what you're paid to do, whether your your employer actually says it or not. No, I totally feel you on that. I do. This week I've many, many times found myself just staring at something that I was typing at and not even being able to remember what I was doing. <laughs> that makes total sense. Um, yeah, guys, all good stuff. I made some notes. I appreciate the uh, the ideas. I'm definitely in the space where I'm going to be looking at cultivating some simple practices to add into my day for sort of centered around self-care and slowing down. What if you, would it be like out of the question, Jen, if you started, uh, you know, and I say this because they do this at OWN and Harpo Studios, they used to do it at Harpo Studios and now they do it at OWN here in Los Angeles. Is they have a uh, a time designated in the day that everybody gets to meditate if they'd want to, if they'd like to. And uh, it's like a 15, 20, it's, well, it's 20 minutes because then they do Vedic meditation, they do transcendental meditation, but... Um, but maybe there's something that, I mean, I know that you're a trendsetter, but uh, maybe you could start doing like a lunchtime meditation where it's like just 10 minutes or 15 minutes where you leave a meditation in the office as a, you know, as, as a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If I'm feeling it, I'm sure everyone else is feeling it there too. Great. Okay, so let's get to subconscious mind. But I really feel like the conversation we were just having is totally part of the subconscious mind, especially like what Mark said about, uh, you know, setting your intention of, um, you know, today is going to be fun no matter what. I'm going to enjoy my work no matter what. And everything that happens today is an extension of that joy expressing itself. So, uh, I mean, if you really... If that was your mantra, you know, I'm willing to enjoy this day. I'm willing to allow my work to be fun today. You better believe that that's going to start expressing itself, manifesting itself as your experience. But with that said, let's talk about the reading and the writing. I know each of you are going to um, talk about a few of the techniques outlined in the book today, but what was your... um, Big takeaways from uh, uh, the uh, miracle working power of your subconscious mind and the um, practical techniques in mental healing and the mental healings in modern times. Um, Brandon, why don't you start us off with some of your thoughts on the reading? Hello. Hello. So, so we're going. We started with the miracle working power of your subconscious, right? Uh, yeah. And may I just say, Brandon, I just think that you're delightful. Thank you. I I think you are delightful. I think everyone's delightful. And 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And by the way, thank you, Jennifer, uh, because as practitioners, um, I have to know that I I need to remain teachable, especially in this group. So thank you for being so open to talking about what's not working or hasn't been working and then being so graceful and allowing people to give feedback because that's one of my um, challenges that has been in my life is just allowing feedback to come my way. So thanks for demonstrating that for me. You're welcome. All right. So um, let's see. Anything that stood out to me? Well, I always love, and I think I'm like Jesse in this sense. I don't identify as a Christian, but I love when they give biblical references because it has such a strong um, underbelly for Western culture that it's like, by the way, and it's kind of like a course in miracles, we're going to use your language to talk to you about what is actually happening. Um, so I love being able to use that, especially as someone who wants to share what's happening. So um, uh, with that, there is a quote on um, page 30 to 31. It's, this is the basis of all healing. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul, subconscious mind, knoweth right well. Psalms 139, 114. And then, uh, um, where was another one? Whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive, Matt 12, 21, 22. Those both are saying to me, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer. So we know what prayer is now. Um, so we're clear on what prayer is. But the next thing is believing. So it's not a prayer Then I forget or I forget to actually trust in that it's going to actually happen. It's not a wish list that I'm sending out to Santa. It's like I'm ordering this, um, so I'm going to be expecting it. Believing ye shall receive. And it's believing, comma, then ye shall receive. So once I believe, I receive it. And... Uh, I mean, that's so meaningful to me. That's, that's all it is for me because once I have the spiritual principles clear in my mind about what's good, what's God, what's, you know, uniting us all, then the things I ask for are generally in alignment with that. And so all I have to do is just actually believe that it's coming or it's here or it's accessible to me in some way. And then I just start noticing it. I start noticing evidence for that, that which has come down the pipeline for me or where it's starting to creep up. So if I'm, you know, if I'm saying, I, I feel like I always go with this analogy now, um, but if I'm like, I want to be in a relationship, I'm going to notice tomorrow that I'm in a relationship. But, but what I'm going to notice is the people that I'm attracted to are starting to look my way more, or starting to smile at me more, and I'm more comfortable smiling at them. And then my prayers are starting to be more specific to that um, need or not need that, but to that desire. And I get more specific with um, that prayer and asking and not saying, God, send me a boyfriend, but God, send me, like, show me the love that's available for me. And then I'm removing all the blocks I ever had to it to begin with. Uh, I think that's what I've got for now, unless you wanted me to talk about anything in another chapter. 
No, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And, yeah, I love a good Bible verse as well. Brandon, can you share to me the difference between these two types of prayers? So what I'm going to ask you to um, share is what am I really asking or what am I really affirming in the first prayer and what am I really affirming in the second prayer? Okay? Okay. All right. So the first prayer is, God, I want a boyfriend. I want somebody to share time with. I want somebody to love me. Second prayer is, God, I am open to receive the perfect partnership. I am open to share all this love that is flowing through me, and I trust that it is unfolding in perfect time. Thank you, God. So what's the difference between the first, the, the first prayer and the second prayer? So the first one was revealing to me and to the universe that I don't have those things yet. And um, the second one was affirming that it's available for me as long as my awareness is in alignment with what God wants for me, basically. Right. So in the first prayer, um, what is the operative word there, the first prayer? Um, I forget what you didn't, what you said, but I basically, um, I, I, I can't remember what you said. <laughs> I'll just tell you. I'll go back. The first, the first prayer, the operative word was want. Oh, yeah, I yeah. want. So want is another way of, uh, another way of affirming what? That you don't have. Exactly. It's lack. Right? So mm-hmm. what we're really saying is, God, I want a boyfriend. Your subconscious mind is going, since the subconscious mind doesn't filter, has no sense of humor, and is impersonal, meaning the subconscious mind isn't going to say, Brandon, no, don't affirm lack. Don't you really want to say this? <laughs> it's just yeah. going to say, it's going to say, your wish is my command. All right, so you want a boyfriend. True. That is so true. You want a boyfriend. So let's... Um, Let's create more and more experiences of you wanting to have a boyfriend. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah. So, and I'm not saying, I'm not implying, I, I just heard something and felt complied, I, I felt inspired to share this with the group using, talking to you, just saying, no, I'm not, I'm not, there's no criticism or anything. Um, so, <laughs> but it's really important for us to, um, it's really important for us to, uh, become aware of that, the begging and beseeching in our prayerful time. What are we really asking for? And so going back to the God's prayer, the affirmative prayer, we simply affirm what is. There's an infinite source of good active at all times in the universe. This source is, this infinite source is creative. It is life-giving. It is forward moving, and I am a part of that. I am creative by essence. I can't not be. So I am affirming that this essence, this force is operating through me, and I am open to, uh, I am interested and open in experiencing a loving relationship, a romantic partnership. I trust that my perfect partner to uh, support me in this is out there. I'm available to meet this person 
and I affirm that this will be a holy relationship where I know I need nothing. This person can give me nothing that I don't already have. I am open to share my life and my uh, experiences with this person. Now, Brandon, on page 31, Mm -hmm. under the section, How to Get the Subconscious to Work for You, what's the first sentence in that section? The first thing to realize is that your subconscious mind is always working. Exactly. So, so does do do does our mindfulness around the words we choose and the energies that we focus on end after prayer time? No. Exactly. So, in essence, what this is suggesting is that your life is a prayer. Right. My life is a prayer. And so we're always making requests of the universe. We are always creating our experiences. We are always in a state, if we choose to be, and this is what we're working on, so we develop the discipline and the muscles, the mental strength to stay diligent in our practice, right? Because our life is always a prayer. We are always affirming what we believe to be true. It's powerful, but it's a responsibility as well, you know, <laughs> especially as you know it. So like with Jennifer, with work, she is always getting to choose. Moment by moment, she gets to choose what experience she's having at work. She gets to choose uh, what, um, you know, like even being, going through the experience of the, the appearance of sickness. She can say, ah, my body is healing itself. It is cleansing out that which is no longer serves me so I can align with a greater expression of beauty and health. So grateful that my body is working for me, that it's, that it's clearing me of any disease or, or, um, or bacteria that just isn't supporting me in living the life I am here to live. Oh, thank you, God, for this opportunity to rest and restore and take care of myself. I'm honoring myself because I am a child of God who deserves to be honored. You know, so it's all a different way of looking at every situation, every circumstance as an opportunity to decide what is really going on here. Now, when we go deeper into our practices, well, and when we get to A Course in Miracles, when The Course in Miracles shares all healing is done at the level of the mind, and we never know what anything is for. When we go through the appearance of sickness, illness, we begin to say, okay, what is this for, God? (laughs) What is this for? What's the learning here? If all healing is done at the level of the mind, what is unfolding for me to learn here? I'm available. I'm ready. Teach me. I'm teachable. Really great, Brandon. And again, thank you, Jennifer, for sharing. Martha, do you have anything you'd like to share? Any takeaways on the reading? Hello. Hi. I, uh, I wasn't sure I had lost the call. Um, for me, I have an interesting um, weekend. <laughs> um, most important for me was... Um, just the suggestions about um, how we could 
if we want something to be manifested, you know, how he they suggest, you know, for us to relax our mind and send the request and do this, you know, five minutes, uh, three times a day and before going to bed. And I started to do that because I had been bleeding for a whole month. And this is an issue that I've had since I was a teenager on and off. And the last um, Saturday and Sunday was the heaviest. And it was getting worse. Pretty much like I was like, oh, good Lord, am I having like, a child or something, you know? So, um, but since I got this book, I just got really excited as far as how simple it is to feed our subconscious on the things that we do want and what I was asking for was health. So as soon as I read it, it was I just started saying simple, you know, I'm healthy, wealthy, and happy. And throughout the day and pretty much what was doing that, and as you know, um, I don't know, well, most of you know Teresa, my aunt, and her husband, you know, was diagnosed with cancer, and so he's having chemotherapy and radiation, but he's also using alternative medicine. And, and um, so two different practitioners that are helping him with the alternative, um, his grandmother um, is sending them messages and helping with his treatment. And so one of the practitioners told him, you know, she's here to help you with your treatment and she's here to help anyone that wants to be helped and is ready for it. And so I knew, so I knew it was true because he, he's helped me in the past. So anyway, uh, so I put it up there and I asked for her help and, um, and I kept saying the affirmations and um, by Sunday night, it was a lot better, and Monday better. And by Tuesday morning, like at 4 something in the morning, it had completely stopped. And um, it was just, to me, a manifestation of my belief that I knew that she could help and that also that we have the power within us to heal. And so I'm still continuing to say, you know, I'm healthy and my hormones are balanced and my uterus and everything down there is working perfectly. And throughout the day, I just say it and I know it and I claim it and I accept it. And um, so pretty much that was my big... And also, like I was saying, like the whole um, wealthy and sometimes, like we say, we ourselves put the blocks there. Um, last Sunday was funny because Teresa, my aunt, same one, um, had received a bonus, and so she had mentioned before that she was going to give me some money, but I'm not going to say it because I know also she's having all this alternative medicine for her husband, and I know it's expensive. So anyway, she goes, I have your money. I was like, no, that's okay. He goes, no, I want you to have it. I was like, that's okay. You're just giving me, or just, I'll just take half. So she was just leaving me alone. She goes, no, this is your money. Take it. You do whatever you want with it. And so I, you know, I realize how difficult it is still for me to accept things. And sometimes we put the block there. I put it because it's still something I'm learning to accept. But to me, it was more the whole health thing and how fast it took, um, came to be. And like I said, it's, it's an issue that I've had and it's just not fun. And um, I'm just very grateful and I'm very excited for this book. And, you know, it's simple to do and, just by simple phrases, it, it will do the work because the, the power is within us. And so that was my experience this last week. So that's uh. 
Let me just let me just take a moment to uh, just say, Jesus, Martha. Like, um, wow! I that was a really powerful share, uh, and just really bow to the work that you've been doing in this group in this class. To uh, to watch your transformation is really beautiful. It's really stunning work, and what you just said was a very powerful testimony, I suppose to this work that, um, and I'm so grateful to hear, and this is a perfect example, guys, of um, applying the learning and then experiencing transformation, experiencing the change, the positive, powerful, loving change that happens when we apply this work. Really wonderful, Martha, beautiful, geez, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys. So um, why don't we go into the modality uh, that everybody's going to share. Um, so who was first? Who, did the, who has the passing over technique in uh, your subconscious will accept your blueprint? I do. It's Mark. Great, Mark. Why don't you share with us? Uh, share with us your your three, and uh, if you guys want to open the book and follow along, and this is under the practical techniques and mental healing section uh, chapter. Um, while Mark is sharing about his techniques, to clarify, did you want me to read the the chapter or the paragraph? Uh, you don't have to. Just give us your um, give us your takeaway of it, your perspective. Okay. Um, well, the passing over technique of impregnating the subconscious mind is just kind of a long-winded version of, um, you know, really letting go of the, I, I think sometimes it can feel burdensome of, I got to do this healing or I got to create this miracle or I, I'm kind of responsible to make something happen here and just simply passing it over to truth, passing it over to God, passing it over to our high, you know, um, holy higher self to, to do the work. Um, so passing it over is really about releasing that belief that there's something that we're doing directly and more about turning it over, passing it over to that, that greater infinite wisdom, knowledge, healing power that we are tapped into and have access to at all times. So, so the actual technique itself um, literally can sound as simple as, as an affirmation. Um, in the example in the chapter here, um, this young girl who was sick, the, the affirmation was simply, it is passing away now. It is passing away now. The healing is happening now. It's just passing over that, that truth and affirming that which is what you want to, to manifest. What were you going to say, Jeffrey? I said I was going to say that it sounds similar to the um, the O in the God's Prayer. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kind of O into D. So offer the offer up and declare. Yeah, I was going to say O and D. Yeah, the combo of the two. Cool. Great. Uh, and the uh, your subconscious mind will accept your blueprint. What's that about? Um, 
so this one was interesting for me. Um, I mean, again, you know, this is just all different shades of kind of the same conversation. Um, but this one was a little bit more, it was, I liked it because just visually envisioning a blueprint and thinking about our lives. You know, our lives is a, is a construction of sorts. The, 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 the materials um, that we use to kind of build or create the experience we have in life are essentially our thoughts. And um, our thoughts, our beliefs, what are we really holding? So this idea of thinking about it as a blueprint is in the blueprint as someone's designing a, a building, let's say, is there's this real conscious intention of what is, what is it that, one, I'm creating, what is the end result I'm looking for, and then what's the game plan? What are the materials that are needed? What needs to go where in order for that to really manifest? And in this, this section, um, what Joseph's talking about is kind of a lot of us kind of go through life without really having a conscious blueprint. It kind of like just kind of ends up happening based on the randomness of, of whatever shows up. And here what he's really inviting us to do is to really get really conscious and, and imbued what it is that we want to create, get very clear, get very specific about that, um, really design the blueprint for what we want our life to be, and then, and then really instill that into our subconscious mind by affirming that and in re-presencing ourselves to that blueprint that at any given moment, every thought we have is us adding into that blueprint. And if a thought that we're having isn't really part of the blueprint and isn't part of the plan to get us to where we want to be, then it's something that we need to return and go back to, well, hold on, let me go back to the blueprint what was my intention? What am I designing here? And what thoughts are going to be aligned to manifest that construction? That's beautiful. So Mark and I had this conversation yesterday about letting sometimes uh, letting go of how we think things should look, how we think things should manifest, and getting much more clear on how we'd like to feel, how it's going to feel, and then allow our feeling tones to sort of support us in navigating um, the life we're creating for ourselves. So, Mark, could this blueprint um, kind of be in alignment with that sort of if the building blocks of the blueprint were more about um, uh, the, like how is it going to feel, like, like making the declaration that my blueprint is a life that is loving a life that is inspiring and nurturing and allowing that to go back to it. So if you're having an experience that doesn't feel that way, you can go back and say, well, wait, my blueprint is that I'm living in a loving, nurturing, inspiring, and playful life. So I have to go back and see what I could realign. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, that's really – or I should say, I believe at the end of this, that that's what any one of our, our blueprints really are, is that desire to the, return to the feeling that we're looking to experience because it's never about the things that manifest. It's always about what is the feeling or the experience we have in having that thing or that relationship or that job in our life. Um, so, yeah, the end game for it all is the feeling. Um, and in the process of the blueprint, 
sometimes it is it is the feeling is is itself that's part of the construction, um, and sometimes it's the thought. What is the thought that will bring us to that feeling? So the the blueprint's kind of a, a combination of both the feeling and thought. The end game is really at the end of the day the feeling. Mm. Beautiful. Um, great. And what was your third one, Mark? I know it's down towards the end of the chapter. Um, I thought you only gave me two. I think I gave you three. Yeah, the third one would have been the argumentative method because you were right before me on the list. Oh, I so did not hear that. Well, well, the art- this, we'll we'll review that later then, um, <laughs> together collectively. Um, it's all good. Um, who has uh, science and the art of true prayer and the visualization technique? Yeah, that's me. And um, you know, these were perfect, you know, for me because these are things that I do in my life. I'm going to do them. So the the science and the art of true prayer is essentially talking about taking your creative power, matching that to the to how science works. So you've got your creative power power plus there is a science that is already at work that that is what is. So I'm going to say that and then skip to visualization, visualization technique and then come back because the two are really entangled and related. And when I was thinking about, you know, how would I teach the visualization technique, um, I thought maybe it might be best put in just like a personal story. So... Um, I can't remember what summer it was, but it was a couple of years back, probably four years ago. And my three, three out of my, let's see, three, yeah, three out of my four best friends and my sister all got married within a two-month period. And I had this, like, breakdown of it because I had this preconceived notion that when couples get married, the first year of their marriage, they're pretty much in hibernation and you never see them. So I I was working off of that preconceived notion, and I decided that I needed to manifest a new friend, like stat. And it started out as kind of a joke, but then I really spent some time putting together what would this new best friend look like? Like, what is missing in all my other best friends? And I made this, like, mega friend in my mind who traveled and loved to sing and loved music, but was cool and, you know, had... um, you know, and it was really, like, smart and business savvy, and I had created this mega friend. And within about six months, I was at a karaoke bar, and I randomly met this wonderful woman, and within two weeks, we were, like, insta-best friends. And it was like I had ordered her from the heavens. She fit every single criteria of my mega friend that I had visualized in my mind, and the power of that friendship, like, has completely altered my life. So, uh, you know, this visualization technique is essentially thinking, you know, kind of like what Mark was saying earlier, too, visualizing what your day is going to look like, visualizing how it's going to feel, really walking through the steps, visualizing, you know, the people that are that you want to have come into your life. And 
what's amazing about doing that is when you meet those people, you immediately know who they are. It's like you've been with them for some period of time. And so these relationships end up having these really powerful and impactful moments in your life um, because of the synergy and energy between the two of you. And this relates really well to the science and art of true prayer. I'm just going to read a little line in this paragraph. It says, your prayer, which is your mental act, must be accepted as an image in your mind before the power from your subconscious will play upon it and make it productive. You must reach a point of acceptance in your mind, an unqualified and undisputed state of agreement. So the science of true art and prayer is taking that visualization, that that mental act of creatively visualizing or, or developing an idea around into an image, an image in your mind so that you can begin to, you know, I like to use the term fake it till you make it, but really believe it. Say you believe it. Even if you don't believe it the first time that you say you do believe it, um, over time you will come to believe it. And, uh, and once you do believe, once you are unqualified in an undisputed state of agreement, those visualizations and creative acts will start to manifest themselves. So that's what those two paragraphs are pretty much about. My Be- beautiful. So that's on true. My, uh, uh, yeah, sure. Well, hold on. I want to sit here just for a second because I thought you did a really great job, um, and I wanted to uh, affirm that for you. It's really nice, really nice work. I really loved um, how you. Um, clarified the teaching through your story is really, uh, really cool, really great stuff. And again, uh, I just would like to point out that, you know, why visualization I feel like is powerful and useful is because it gets us, again, going back to the conversation we were having with Mark, it gets us into the feeling tones of it already being done. Like there is, um, you know, you start to, and when you begin to feel it, and that's what we call uh, believing it, you know, we feel it as if it is already there, then we become an energetic match to it. You know, that's the entire basis. Has anyone ever heard of Jerry and Esther Hicks, the Abraham teachings? They're, They're whole, they're really big on becoming you know, uh, getting in alignment with that which is ready to manifest, you know. And it's all about getting into the emotionality, the feeling. So the visualizations, it's help us feel peaceful, feel excited. And when we are in a state of it's already done, then we're open to receive. We're not, we're not looking for it. We're not begging, beseeching. We're not clawing and climbing. We're just open and available. And it's a completely different energy. It's very receptive. And it allows us to be more aware, I think, of that which is around us. So really beautiful work, Jennifer. Thank you. And what was your last one? The absolute method is like modern sound wave therapy. And so in this paragraph, essentially, they're talking about sound waves and the healing power of them. And they're talking about it mostly in the context of, of 
prayer and collective prayer, um, having an energy, you know, having many people focus on one individual and their healing and how that energy and the sounds of those prayers or the sound wave of the of that energy um, does have an effect on people's healing. And I have, you know, heard several things about, um, you know, there's a hospital somewhere in the in the east that literally only heals people through prayer. And there's lots of scientific data that supports that prayer does, in fact, um, have a have a better result than non-prayer. Um, but when I read this this paragraph, what really went into my head was I'm I'm a singer and I'm I'm very uh, I I believe that singing songs has really transformed my life and 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 it really helps me heal in a lot of emotional sorts of ways. And so although this paragraph is kind of talking about collective prayer and electronic, you know, spiritual electronic waves of harmony, health, and peace, uh, my mind really went to singing and the power of the sound of my own voice saying these words that have already been written, but um, but with my emotions behind it and being able to kind of process and heal things that way. Remember when we talked about the... Um... Uh, the experiments with water that Masaru Emoto did in uh, Japan where he would... Well, he part of that experiment is he would actually have monks come in and pray over water as well. And they had the exact same uh, results as it did with all the water that had like the really loving words on it. They would manifest as these beautiful crystalline shaped, uh, the molecules of the water would, would grow into these beautiful crystal and shaped forms and figures. And so, you know, again, our body is being 70 to 90% water. Of course it's going to be um, affected by the energy or the waves that we are putting out there. And it's another invitation for us all to just be very mindful of what energy are we putting out there, what effect is it having on us physically, not just emotionally and mentally, but on the physical form, and also what effect is it having in the environment that we are in? Really cool. Really good work, Jennifer. Thank you so much for sharing. Good job. And who's next? Is it Brandon? No, Martha. Martha. All right. Okay, so the mental movie was pretty much the same as they have mentioned as far as um, visualizing things. They just put it differently as far as like uh, creating a movie in which um, the person that wants uh, the desire to come forth, you know, so you picture it as a movie and you're the actor in it and you dramatize it and you feel it. And um, the one of the examples that they give is he says that uh, they received. He has received like a lot of um, results from people that use it when they're trying to sell a property, uh, and so he suggests um, for the person to put a price and um, be okay with the price that they are asking for, and then um, you you claim and um, 
that the infinite intelligence is attracting the the correct buyer for your property and that the person that's going to buy it is going to be uh, happy and prosperous in it. And so um, so he says to imagine um, already having that check in your hand from the sale. And so pretty much if the, the same suggestion, I think, for most of them where they suggest to do it before going to bed. Um, and so that's, I guess, that's one good one for for uh, real estate. And then <laughs> the next... <laughs> Hold on, wait, wait, before you move on. Uh-huh. Pretty much it's just giving us an invitation to use our imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, we don't have to complicate things. <laughs> We don't have to complicate things, and we get we get to allow uh, working with our mind, working with our lives, and building the blueprint of our lives to be playful and fun. I think playfulness is so important, so healing. Totally a quality of God. My childlike playfulness, and um, you know, there's a, a abundance teacher, prosperity teacher uh, Neville. And he says, start from the result and move backwards. So start from the result and move backwards. And again, it's the same thing. It's seeing it as done already because that lifts up our feeling vibrations to be in alignment with that which we're interested in creating, that which we're interested in creating. So, um, you know, I'm not ever suggesting that you don't get specific on what it is you'd like to um, what you'd like to see unfold in your life, the situation, circumstances, uh, the end result. Um, I just say go forward without attachment because I believe we get the inspired ideas to do things so we can get where we need to go so we can do what we're here to do, which is to shine our light um, and to support other people in doing the same thing. I feel like the details are irrelevant. But with that said, I believe that we get these inspired ideas and we should go towards them. That's our roadmap. That's our green light. And if we have the inspired idea and we don't know how it's going to unfold, the good news is the how is none of our business. In this book, it's pretty much saying the subconscious mind will take care of the how. Our job is to believe that it is possible, believe it is so, believe it is done. And so the technique Martha is sharing is a powerful and fun way, the moving in my mind technique of seeing it as already done. Then we can become an emotional um, alignment with it and allow it to unfold easily. It's really great. What's the next one, Martha? Uh, the Boudin technique. So this technique is also, you know, after relaxing and um, going kind of to a drowsy, sleepy state, um, just to, it says, it's just to do a, a small phrase which can be repeatedly um, and for it to engrave it in our memory. Uh, so it's just to repeat it over and over again. And it doesn't have to be long. Like I said, it's short. So the example that they give is just um, of somebody that was having problems in litigation, well, in a lawsuit with uh, regarding a will. And so, and they had gone and it was getting nasty So. Uh, she just started to say, you know, it is finished in divine order, and that it would, you know, be solved quickly and fast and peacefully. That would work for everybody. And after just 10 days, um, they came to a peaceful agreement. Uh, so it's just phrasing, just doing a small phrase and just repeating it over and over again. 
on whatever you're asking. Yeah, all these techniques are really beneficial, really powerful, and has the potential to just support us in enjoying our lives. Um, all right, and um, what's the next one? The last one was uh, a cripple walk, and that was based on somebody um, just having a not having a false belief, not understanding, and she was very she was taking the Bible. Um, literally, and so she was misunderstanding something, and so once it was cleared, I would have to read it because that's the last one, and I, um, once she, uh, the doctor helped her, like, understand it, so, I mean, she was healed, and um, so it was just her fault that she was misunderstanding what she was reading. That didn't make any sense to you guys. I would have to read that one. It's all good. I think I'm getting it. That it's just, uh, I mean, it's about allowing ourselves to, and then again, you know, I'm just going to go back to the feeling tones of things. I think it's so important to allow ourselves to get to the feeling essence of what um, so many of these texts are sharing, you know, and we don't have to get into like the Bible and its interpretations or misinterpretations and things like that, but, you know, um, yeah, people, I'd, I'd like to actually keep moving on here because I'd like to get to the Byron Katie work too, and I want to give Brandon uh, proper time to share his sections as well. So thank you so much, Martha, and uh, Brandon. Hello. Okay. So I had the sleeping technique first. And basically, this is um, something that can be done whether you're about to go to sleep or you just woke up or you're throughout your day. And it's kind of just like being in that um, uh, low resistance level energy state right before you're about to drift off so that uh, things can easily, more easily seep into your subconscious. So the way I've been practicing it is uh, five to 10 minutes before I fall asleep as opposed to thinking about all the things that I think are going to happen in the next day or week. I start to think about all the things I'd like to happen or all the things that I believe now will happen. Um, and like, cause normally I would focus on what are the facts about today? What are the facts about tomorrow? And instead I start to have a whole new um, process of visioning that. And, um, and I use, obviously we use words, when we're thinking about this. So I'll say, um, first I kind of like bless my night. I'm going to have a beautiful sleep today. I'm, tonight I'm going to wake up feeling rejuvenated and excited about the day. And it also suggests that we kind of say it to ourselves like a lullaby. So um, kind of having a soft melodic tone while we're doing it um, will also help it seep in more gently and rest more gently in in us permanently. Um, And so when, and then also that's whenever there's an urge to repeat a negative habit, we just go into this gentle space. So whether it's throughout the day and we kind of do the sing song with our affirmation. And then I got the affirmative method and hold on one sec, Brandon. I really like that 
um, that first technique that Brandon was sharing. I think it's really powerful. You know, we've talked about how the, the real productive, real creative place uh, is when we are relaxed and peaceful. And it's not necessarily when we're going about our day getting everything done. We have become a culture that praises multitasking. Like it's something to be really, really uh, put upon some uh, the altar. But when we're multitasking, it's rare that we're fully present with any one thing, you know. And the multitasking has, has you know, grown into our ability to text while driving. And we've seen a wonderful demonstration of that kind of quite. Um, so, uh, but this this leading technique, uh, it's like just giving the heavy lifting over to the spirit. It's like um, allowing the subconscious mind to figure out all the directions and all the areas and all the avenues to go without you having to get in there and um, and trying to do what you think or how you think things should unfold when there's a way, there's a much easier way to go about it and the subconscious mind knows that way. And so it's just sort of programming, inviting and instructing the subconscious mind to show you the way in a really easy, peaceful, playful manner. I love that it's comforting too, like a little lullaby, like it references that. Um, and then we, when you wake up, it's, you know, sometimes have you ever just had like it's, we have to treat, we, we get to train ourselves to follow those intuitive inspired ideas. And that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the things. I think that's like where a lot of prayers seem unanswered is because we get the answer in an idea and then we just poo-poo it. Or we, or we don't pursue it. We don't go forward when that's the answer of what it is that we've been sort of, you know, curious about. So... Wonderful technique to, and I think time saving. And what I've learned, and I always say this, that applying these techniques, doing this work, your life just gets easier. It just gets easier. Go ahead, Brandon. Great. Oh, I also wanted to say really quick, uh, Martha reminded me that I've been practicing the health thing too for a long time. And it's, you know, a part of my story with my family. I had this idea that certain foods make me sick. And even though, especially the foods I love. And yesterday, uh, among other days, I had a really nice experience. I love curry. But in the past, I had gotten sick off of it, like upset stomach and everything. And yesterday, I prayed over it. And I said, this food blesses my body. And I digest it with ease and use it all for energy. And it's the first time since I can remember that I had a positive experience after eating the curry. And so that's no longer my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, so this next one, uh, the affirmative method, is kind of um, obviously what we've all been talking about all along. It's uh, um, so the kind of the prayer or the affirmation of saying what we, what we know to be ultimately true without any kind of like wavering in what we're believing. And then also going back to the feeling tones, as Jesse says, it's 
almost as if the meaning of the words, the feeling that it's bringing to us is more important than what we're saying. Because a lot of times, as we know, especially if we grew up in uh, ritualistic church settings, we know that that rote repetition of very divinely inspired language can mean nothing to us after a while. So we have to find a new way of evoking it through us. So it feels guttural and it feels like it's coming from our heart center and all that. And this is what the affirmative method is talking about too. And it's um, saying don't use vain repetition um, and just affirm what you know to be true and stop paying attention to that which is untrue, which is anything that's opposite of love and health and wholeness. And, and then also, I, there's a big chunk of this that talks about how there's no time-space continuum when it, in terms of this principle that it can be effective for other people across um, time and space, basically. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. And okay. Um, what was the, your third one? Sure. The third one is the decree method. And uh, I'll just read the first sentence because it pretty much says it all. Power goes into our word according to the feeling and faith behind it. So this is for sure um, the, de- the, the, the declare section of our God's prayer. And uh, it's, it's basically just, you know, again, exclaiming what we know to be true, but we don't have to force any of this. When it's true, when it's powerful, when it's of God, it comes up and we don't have to, you know, try to control that language so much. We just have to get in the practice of doing it. Love it. Yeah, so pretty much all of these, if you put them in one big sandwich, it would just be the God's prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Everything getting to the feeling tone, letting go of the block, declaring what's true, and then, of course, how can we not share it? We're all one mind. Well, guys, thank you so much for your work. I definitely feel like it's time for a little break, so let's take five minutes and uh, stretch, uh, refill your waters, go potty, and we'll meet back at 9.50, and uh, we'll explore a little more in Byron Katie booklet. And have fun.
Okay, we are back. Head on speakerphone. I was wondering why I couldn't hear anything. Okay, guys. So, um, Jennifer. Yes. You find out that a group of your coworkers have been talking smack about you. They don't like your attitude. They think you're bossy. They think that you're uh, an ass kisser and you're climbing the ladder. (laughs) And they're telling everybody about it. Whose business is that? That is their business. That is their business. Very good. Brandon, let's say, oh, let's just say that you live in Los Angeles, California. And (laughs) I do. And uh, it's 200 uh, 200 degrees every day. And um, (laughs) walking outside feels impossible, and everybody around you is super intense and cranky because it's so hot, and the for- you read the forecast and it says, the next 10 days, it's just going to get hotter. Whose business is the weather? God's business. That's God's business. <laughs> that is God's business. Mm-hmm. Martha, mm-hmm. let's say you're coming up from Long Beach. And you get on the 405, and it's smooth sailing. And then just as soon as you get close to LAX, gridlock traffic both ways. (laughs) Whose business is the gridlock traffic? God's business. God's business. Mark? Uh, Let's say, let me see. Um... I'm trying to think of something for Mark. Uh, Mark would say that um, you are, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Let's say that you are uh, about to meet with a potential new client, a big, huge account, and, um, and they don't show up to your lunch meeting. Uh, and uh, you don't know why, Uh, and uh, you're sitting there, and uh, you can either get, whose business is it, whether you get really upset or you just have lunch by yourself and and read a good book? Uh, My business. That's your business, yeah. Um, Great, cool. So... How many people, after reading this idea of (laughs) three types of business, had some insights as to uh, how you get in other people's business? Does anyone have any insights or anything they'd like to share, any aha moments? Say that again, Jesse. Just asking if anybody had any insights as to, like, where they get into other people's business and how it affects your 
uh, how it's affected your peace of mind. Anyone have any extra insights of, oh, my gosh, I've, I've been in other people's business? Me. <laughs> I have a friend who had applied for a job, and um, they didn't give it to him, and I know that he's, like, overqualified for it. And when he told me, I was just livid. And he was upset, but I think I was more upset. Um, but, yeah, I was pretty much telling him to, you know, to find another job because I felt that he wasn't being appreciated. But, yeah, that wasn't my business. Yes, yeah, totally. It, well, it's the employer's business who didn't hire him. <laughs> it's his business that he uh, – well, his business is how is he – responding to the fact that he didn't get hired and what is he doing now? And your business is how you're showing up to support him. I mean, listen, it's your business if you want to get super upset by it and have a, and have a moment. That's your business, you know. But that's just you making someone else's business your business. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I crack myself up with how upset I get by traffic sometimes. It's way less and less now because I'm taking a vow not to rush, but there was a real moment like in, when I was in San Francisco that uh, I had a meltdown over traffic. And uh, the next day when they had a little distance from it, Chris and I were able to laugh because I was totally in God's business. I have a question. Uh-huh. Maybe an inquiry or a ponder more than a question. But, um, you know, thinking about this in relation to relationships, um, what kind of came up for me was, is there really ever a time for us to ever be engaged in someone else's business? And what I mean by that is, you know, we could see a friend who's, who's really suffering or struggling. And is that a place where we say, well, that's their business. It's not my business. And, and really hold in that space. Or are there times when you, you engage or you extend or you become involved or you willingly become involved in their business? In this particular principle, in the way that it's being presented, what is what is the thoughts around that? I mean, Byron Katie goes into, I mean, in all of her work, she talks openly about how her daughter had uh, worked through alcoholism and how it was none of her business that her daughter worked through alcoholism. Uh, also, you know. That I think it was something to the extent of like she had given her daughter a car, and she was um, like something to the extent of she wanted to take the car back, but then she realized, well, that's my daughter's business if she chooses to drink and drive. I gave her the car; it's her car. It's not for me to take it back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's I mean that's a big tricky one with, and especially if you have people in your life that are addicts. Because it really feels like, you know, there was a time when I had a friend and I'd become close to him and he 
uh, was a recovered drug addict, and he had a relapse on drugs. And I knew he was in a relapse. Everybody knew he was in a relapse. I knew where he was. And I knew, like, I really felt like at the bottom of it, he wants to be sober. I know who he is. He's a spiritual guy. Um, I know how he thrives when he's not on drugs. And so I decided that I was going to get him. I was going to put his ass in my car, and he's going to sit on my couch, and we were going to get him into, into a rehab the next day. So I went over to his apartment, and it did not go well. <laughs> And it did not go well because he did not want to stop doing drugs that day. He wanted me out. And he was furious that I would uh, come in and try to intercede. And that was me in his business. That was me in his business. With, and I knew I was right. But I wasn't. And, you know, it's really important for us especially as practitioners, let's say it again, as practitioners, spiritual counselors, ministers, to stay out of people's business unless they ask for your perspective, unless they ask for your help. Because them asking for your help is them uh, inviting you to support their path. But if we're thinking that we know what's best for them, even if they're in crisis, that's us in ego. That's us thinking we know what's best for them. But for anyone who's worked with addiction at all, sometimes the very best possible thing is for people to hit a rock bottom in whatever situation. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's whatever. And that rock bottom might be the thing that inspires the greatest healing. But if we come along and say, oh, I know what's best for you, I'm going to intercede. And that's us just trying to exert our will into their life. Their choices are none of our business. How we choose to work with them is our business. Does that make sense? So is this more like, sorry, like an invitation kind of thing? For example, if they, yeah, if they invite you to help them, then feel free. They've invited you. That's why, you know, like really, like what I've noticed, really advanced spiritual teachers never say anything. You can actually, and this is something I've had to really work with in my own life, is I, I think like what I've noticed, what I've observed, are sort of it's the newer spiritual teachers that will sort of impose their perspective on you or say, well, actually, what's really going on is this. But it's the, like, the sages and the older people, they talk so little, there's very little said, and they never give you any guidance or advice unless you ask them to, unless you ask for it. Um, but, yeah, if there's an invitation, then share. But if there's not, then the, then the invitation I'm going to invite you to really you know, contemplate is mind your own business until it becomes your business. But for example, some, well, I guess, I'm thinking like my uncle invited me, to, well, yeah, he suggested Al-Anon for me. Well, well okay, I guess like it's like an invitation. So if we think like something might benefit somebody, we it's just put it out there like an invitation or we don't have to do that. I mean, or, you know, if you want to. Sure, of course. Listen, 
Guys, uh, and you know what? I, I actually got to work with Byron one-on-one for uh, a little bit, and it was around something similar. And she says, do your best, and if at any time, in retrospect, you feel as though there could be space for an apology, apologize. You know? But if you're, if you, you know, if, some, if you hear someone really going through something, and you feel like, oh, I really feel like Al-Anon could benefit them, Here's the difference. There's a difference in saying, you should do this. Or you could say, you know, I had a similar experience and what really supported me was Al-Anon. It's not telling them what they should do. It's not uh, thinking you know what's best for them. It's sharing what works for you. And so, and if, yeah, right? And if they choose to uh, pick it up, then that's their business. And if they choose to leave it there, that's their business. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, what about the first little part? What is, is? Who had any insights into this idea? The only time we suffer is when we believe a thought that argues with what is. When we believe a thought that argues with what is. Meaning, when you believe that something should be different than what is. Has anyone ever experienced any kind of suffering because of something like that? (laughs) Can anyone relate at all to that? Ah, my enlightened masters on the phone. (laughs) Who's ever had the thought, I should have more money in my bank? Or who's ever had the thought, I should have that job, and that person shouldn't have it. I should have it. Yeah. I have these thoughts all the time. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's arguing with reality. Go ahead. In particular, the one that comes up a lot is, like, the the owner of my company, my, my thought is always, like, she should just give me the company because I'm doing all of the work and she's doing none of the work, right? But it, it does, and then, and then, and then what the, the, then the outcome of that is, anytime I ask her to actually do some work, I just pick it apart. It's never right. She never did it properly. It's always wrong. I should have never even asked her. It's like all this fallout and suffering from the idea that she's doing nothing and I'm doing everything. Um. But that's, you know, that's not true. That's not what is. I mean, that's that's not what is. I'm making choices, and she's making choices, and she has her business, and I have my business, and I'm all up in her business. You just got it. That's right. Whose business is it that she decides not to do and she has to work? Right. That's her business, and it's my business that I choose to do her, you know, lot for her. Yes. Yes. Good, 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 Jennifer. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. And then, you know, in relating to what is, you know, this happens a lot in my relationship too. You know, I want my partner to be different, (laughs) and that's not who she is. So, yeah. 
This is great. The what is this is great to work. It's um, really easy to work with parents. Like, I wish, like, my parents should have been, like, my mom should have made me stay in piano lessons. You know, uh, they should have let me stay in ballet. They should have, uh, you know, my, I, my, I, my mom should have gone to college. You know, uh, my dad should have been more present when we were growing up. Um, things like that, that, like really wild stuff. And it's like, really? Because that's not what happened. So what we actually can equate from that is your dad shouldn't have been more present because your dad was the perfect amount of present because that's where he was. Or your mom shouldn't have gone to college because she didn't go to college. So we can trust that not going to college was perfect. And whose business was it that she didn't go to college? And whose business was it that he wasn't more present? So it's in fighting with what is and getting in other people's business, we begin to create suffering for ourselves. Okay, so let's go into meeting your thoughts of understanding. It's the next section in the little booklet. It's uh, on page nine. Um, Mark, are you in the car I know you're going to Models of Pride. I don't know if you're driving or if you or you're parked or what I'm, the situation is. I'm I'm here. I'm here and parked. You're here and parked. Okay. Cool. Okay. Meeting your thoughts with understanding. Um, one, two, three. Oh, perfect. There's four paragraphs, and so we'll go. Mark, Jennifer, Brandon, Martha. Mark, Jennifer, Brandon, Martha. Okay. I'm sorry. It's me again. What page are we on? Page number nine. Meeting your thoughts with understanding. Okay. Great. A thought is harmless unless we believe it. It is not our thoughts, but the attachment to our thoughts that causes suffering. Attaching to a thought means believing that it's true without inquiring. A belief is a thought that we've been attaching to often for years. Most people think that they are what their thoughts tell them they are. One day I noticed that I wasn't breathing. I was being breathed. Then I also noticed, to my amazement, that I wasn't thinking. I was actually being thought, and that thinking isn't personal. Do you wake up in the morning and say to yourself, I think I won't think today. It's too late. You're already thinking. Thoughts just appear. They come out of nothing and go back to nothing, like clouds moving across the empty sky. And they come, they come to pass, not to stay, there is no harm in them until we attach to them as if they were true. No one has ever been able to control his thinking, although people may tell the story of how they have. I don't let go of my thoughts. I meet them with understanding. Then they let go of me. Thoughts are like the breeze or the leaves on the trees or the raindrops falling. They appear like that, and through inquiry, we can make friends with them. Would you argue with a raindrop? Raindrops aren't personal, and neither are thoughts. Once a painful concept is met with understanding, the next time it appears, you may find it interesting. What used to be the nightmare is now just interesting. The next time it appears, you may find it funny. The next time, you may not even notice it. This is the power of loving what is. I almost started crying. I really feel like this section is 
the keys, guys. It's the keys to the kingdom. It's everything that we've studied. I really feel like this is enlightened material. It's the power of meditation, of just observing the thoughts without taking them on, without making them mean something they don't mean. For years, I believed that people didn't like me, that I was social, I was around people, but I always thought people didn't like me. And I would believe it. I just really believed it. And so my experience was that I, though I was out and about and social, I didn't have many friends. In fact, I really had to believe that other men did not like me. And I just believed it. And I had no male friends. It was for years. Um, I had this, here's a great example um, of a uh, belief-run rampant. You know, for years I thought my dad was disappointed with the fact that I was gay. I had all the evidence I needed. He was extremely conservative and Republican and straight. <laughs> he, um, when I came out of the closet to him, he never talked about it. Two years later, when I was talking with his wife before I moved, went to college, um, she didn't know that I was gay. He didn't tell her. And I was like, what do you mean he didn't tell, tell you? I mean, I even had my boyfriend around the house, and he just said that that was my friend, Herbie. And so, uh, listen, I've done, you know, I've had many a weekend workshop, self-empowerment workshops where you make phone calls to people. I had made many phone calls to my dad. We've had many comments to God. And it all sort of um, created one big final coming to Jesus talk that we had, oh, my gosh, probably three years ago, three or four years ago, where I just had had it. And uh, there was some stuff going on with my sister, so I needed to get with my dad, and I decided to have lunch to talk about that. But I, you know, really what I wanted to talk about was with me and my dad, and I was going to just say, you know, why don't we either make a commitment to try something different or just call it quits, and it's all good. I don't have to be a part of your life. You don't have to be a part of mine. And how I started it was, I was talking with him, and I just said, you know, Dad, I know that you were a little disappointed that I was gay. And before I could get another word out, he slammed his hand onto the table. We were at a restaurant in public. And if you knew my father, that's so completely out of character to make any kind of stir in public at all. Uh, he slammed his hands on the table, and he said, I have never been disappointed in you, not once, ever. He goes, I wish you could hear how I talked about you to my friends and colleagues. He goes, uh, I've never been disappointed that you were gay. I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about it. And when you came out to me, all I knew about gay people was that about AIDS. He goes, and I was terrified that you were going to get sick or hurt. I didn't know how to cope with that. He goes, if I'm guilty of anything, it's not knowing how to express how I feel and not knowing how to um, talk about this. He goes, so if I created any pain in your life because of that, hear me now, I am sorry, and I love you, and I've never been disappointed in you. 
And I had, it was like someone flipped a switch because I was like, you know, I have created an identity around my dad being disappointed in the fact that I was gay. And I have created, uh, I have projected so much of that shit onto white men with, successful white men, men with, men with money, that uh, as a result of that, and it was all because I believed the thought that my dad was disappointed in the fact that I was gay. And it wasn't. And that was 15 years later, I finally got to detach from that thought and say that was something I created all myself. And I allowed it to be true and feel true for me, and I created a life around it. And so we do that when we believe a thought is true. So what Byron is suggesting here is what if we stopped believing our thoughts were true? So what are some thoughts that we have that we believe are true and maybe um, uh, what are some thoughts that maybe you have had or experiences you specifically have had that you have realized was, wow, I just thought that was true and it wasn't, but it created a lot of upset and pain in my life. Hey, it's Mark. Um, just recently, I realized um, how much I have believed that I am not judgmental. And realizing how judgmental I actually am uh, really has actually been kind of in an ironic way, very profound. Because um, I think it's opened me up to a whole other level of, of healing and... Uh, and work and practice uh, that I think for me is going to be a huge breakthrough um, with things that I feel like I, I've been kind of not understanding why things aren't connecting, um, why I'm not having the experience that, you know, I kind of have envisioned and uh, really kind of clearing the story that I've been creating for myself around oh, you're not judgmental, you're really open, you're really accepting of people, and then realizing like, oh, yeah, you're only doing that on the surface. But behind the scenes, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, so that, that's, that's been huge for me in the last few weeks and, um, and seeing what's there and uh, now actually feeling empowered to, to be able to start to shift that is, is really exciting. Do you have, uh, like, a, an example you could use? Oh, God. Um, like, um, okay, uh, like with you, for example. Um, you know, it, I, and I, I've talked with you about this. Like, we, you know, there are times that I, I have judgment of what you're saying or, or what you're doing or the decisions you're making. And, um, you know, I've been going along with the, oh, I'm not judging Jesse. I'm just letting Jesse do what he does. Um, and on the outside, that's maybe what it appears like. Maybe it doesn't always look like that. But from my perspective, I'm thinking that's what it looks like. Oh, Mark's being accepting. But at the end of the day, there's something still in the background that I'm still holding that judgment of, oh, there goes Jesse again. There he goes doing that thing. 
And me thinking like, well, just because I'm expecting it means that I'm not judging it. And there's a difference. You can accept something and still be holding judgment around it um, because you really haven't fully accepted it, um, really haven't fully embraced whatever that is. Um, So even in our interactions, I mean, I know there are times that we, we are triggering for each other, and I think often probably the times that I trigger you are probably those times when I'm thinking I'm doing or saying something without judgment, but in truth behind that, there's some judgment there, and that's what you're probably energetically picking up on. Um, and that that is what happens for me in most of my relationships is that there's kind of the version of me that I think I'm putting out, and then it's people's experience of me is is often kind of two two different perspectives, two different experiences. Um, so, so yeah, that's one particular example of a million that happened every day, all week long for me. Perfect, beautiful. And you know what? Uh, thank you for your uh, authenticity and your willingness to share. Um, uh, your willingness to share uh, truthfully because it's, you know, uh, not always easy to give an example about the person who's teaching your class. <laughs> That's great. Um, anybody else? I had a... Break- oh, go, go ahead, ahead Martha. <laughs> no, you go. You go, you go. Okay. Um, my biggest one was, like, that I had to pay for my mistakes or my sins before God would, like, love me. And um, that got really crazy for me because, um, I mean, we're perfect. I mean, I know now that we're, you know, divinely perfect all the time, but before my belief was that I wasn't and so that I needed to suffer in order to earn his love. And so I just felt like I was never going to be able to do it, and it got so bad where... I just wanted to die. And so I would bang my head in the tub, hoping I would go into a coma because I was too afraid to commit suicide that I would go to hell. So anyway, just that just went wacky. And um, that's my experience. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're having a new experience. I'm glad you're you're realizing. um... But, you know, that's a really great, example, Martha, because it's that perfection in the story. It's it's like Martha's path is perfect. If she didn't have that experience, if it wasn't that low, then she wouldn't, perhaps she wouldn't have been inspired to try a new approach. She wouldn't have been so drawn to um, this work, you know. Yeah, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Jennifer, you were going to share something? Um, yeah, you know, like I have this um, <clears throat> this chest of childhood photos, and you know, every time I move, I bring the chest with me, but I never look inside of it. And this was probably about five years ago, but I was moving again, and I just decided to open up that box and I came across a picture of me from the eighth grade basketball team 
um, at in junior high school. And I stopped and I looked at that picture like, whoa. I always said and always believed and always thought that I was like the fat kid. And there was this like physical photograph, this like physical evidence that as an adult, I could look at this photo and go, oh my God, I was not fat at all. Like I was the perfect size. But, you know, all these years, this belief or this thought that that was very much a reality has, like, you know, greatly affected my story around health. And as an adult, I can look at that picture and say, absolutely, 100%, I was perfect. It was cray-cray. You know, that's a really powerful uh, understanding, and I totally understand that. I, too, was like, I, I I say often, I was like, yeah, you know, I was fat since I was eight when my grandpa told me I was gaining weight. And my whole life, <clears throat> I was fat. And then I look back at the pictures, it was like, I was real thin. I was, so I was a dancer, I was a ballet dancer in high school. I had, I was, but I was taking diet pills in the seventh grade because I thought I was fat and running six miles. And, you know, going back and forth to, like, the power of subconscious mind, when I did gain weight when I was 27 and on television, uh, I gained, like, 15 pounds and was called a fat pig on TV, national television, and started getting death threats because I had gained weight. People telling me that I should die if they see me. They'll just do it for me. Um, I was like, wow, that's, I like, I, in retrospect, I'm like, wow, we are really powerful manifestors. Like, we, I manifested that experience. And then, you know, did, uh, uh, and that was a perfect manifestation of the hateful belief I had about myself. And, uh, and it culminated into that. So, when we become aware that, um, you know, that, uh, our thinking is creative and it's just the belief in the thoughts that, I mean, because here's the thing. Um, there's a thought in there that we just believe that fat is bad, that there's something wrong with fat. And we've accepted that as a culture. That is bad. That is bad. So when someone gains weight, they have evidence of fat on their body, how do they feel? Like they've done something bad. Like there's something wrong with them, right? But there isn't. That's the insanity of it. That's the craziness of all the thoughts is fat is not bad. It's the same thing with LGBT. For so long, we thought gay was bad. And so people coming out of the closet would have all the shame about being gay. But now we know. That's insanity. There's nothing wrong with being fat. And then all of the all of the stories that you create around being fat. Well, if I'm if I'm fat, then no one will love me. No one will be attracted to me. Is that true? Of course not. That's just what we believe. And so we create all these barriers around us so we'll feel invisible and prove ourselves right. So it's our thinking, guys. And, I mean, this is like the basis of this entire year. It's just our thoughts create our experience. And this is an example of how that is true. It's a really clear, good example, Jen. And one I encourage you to continue to 
uh, reflect upon and go even deeper with it because that will be a great uh, source of teaching for you where you'll be able to pull from that and teach from that space because it is such a common experience for so many people. Yeah, and I'll just follow that up with I think all of us have beliefs based on thoughts that we had as children, you know, and without this inquiry that Byron Katie's talking about, you know, we're still living with those thoughts that we came up with, like, as adolescent, adolescent mindset. Yep. Yep. All right, last thoughts, Brandon? Maybe Brandon hopped off. Um, hi, sorry. Oh. Good. Um, I I was not going to share because I my thought is a very long because I have a long history with doing this. In fact, it, it, doing this work at 18 pulled me out of a con- continuous suicidal uh, thought pattern that I had, and actually, so just long story short, I was disowned at uh, 16 by my parents for being gay. And my next year in high school, I had a fight. One, obviously, shame of being disowned. But two, the belief that my parents didn't love me or want me because I was gay. And my mom, ironically, had loving what is. And before I was kicked out, I had it in my possession. And I kept it. And um and I was able to do the work around that. And it took me a year or two of reading the book before I actually understood what it meant. I was so young, like still trying to understand so much. And then I had a real huge break open aha moment, which led to a ton of writing. But I, it was all around the work and realizing that, um, uh, that I couldn't possibly know that it was true that my parents didn't love me. And then I, then I got to the space where I know that this is the best thing for us both because, you know, this is happening right now. And then I got to find evidence of where love was unfolding for me because of this. So it got to be that my parents did the most loving thing for me by letting me go um, to be with other people who could who could love on me and, you know, accept me a part of their family. So, um, and this, Byron Katie is actually one of the main reasons I decided to do the practitioner course because um, I'm like, if any, if any program is aligned with the teachings that she has, then I know it's, it's, it's solid. And it's so non-denominational and it's so accessible to people who aren't ready to talk about God or the spirit that um, I know it's worked in my life tremendously. I, I work with a lot of clients at my facilities. They'll come in and I'll just immediately, with their rants and raves, I'll be like, is that true? And we'll just go from there. And, um, uh, and also this, you know, people who is involved in uh, 12-step program, it's very, very, very similar to the fourth step process, which is, so transformational, so fearless, so powerful. And um, I'm just excited for us doing this work together. Yes. 
So, beautiful guys, great work today. Um, I have to hop on the other call. Class has already started. <laughs> but I just love this conversation. I love this work. I love you guys so much. I could talk forever. So, let's just take a deep breath in and exhale. Just knowing that this is a perfect class with a perfect group of people on a perfect day. And I just bless us all. And I really surround um, those of us who are representing the community at Models of Pride. And Brandon, with your on your panels, just loving you up, surrounding you with light, knowing that angels are all around you, whispering in your ears, uh, giving you the right guidance to support the greatest level of love, awakening in the uh, minds and hearts of our LGBT youth and their families and their parents and all that good stuff. Oh, so much love. And just sharing all of this, just, just ways and ways of light through the interwebs as medicine healing anyone who is suffering because they're believing something that just isn't true. I love you all. Have a beautiful, beautiful week. And look for an email. Uh, I'll send out the email um, as soon as possible, but maybe not until tomorrow with this week's reading assignment and um, homework, okay? Have a beautiful day, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.